This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comic show. And if the other side of the page is any indication, we have got a treat for you tonight, folks. It is going to be a rip-roaring good time. So glad to be here. And of course, you guys know we don't do this show alone. I got Dan Gunther here with me. What's going on, man? Hey, Matthew. Uh, Not a whole lot. Uh, getting into summer, excited to be here, and especially excited to talk about these comics that we all just had the pleasure of reading. Would we say pleasure? <laughs> anyway, that's Something. giving too much away. Uh, before I let <laughs> anything else go, Bruce Gibson, it's gl- it's good to have you back, man. Thank you for having me back. I'm just sitting here killing a bug, and so I uh, mission accomplished. It's killed, it's done, it's gone. That sounds like something that might happen in the comics that we read. Uh, You know, I I don't think um, they're really all that worried about alien life. They're really Mm. more worried about mankind. Oh, my gosh. You make me feel so guilty (laughs) now because I should use the prime directive before I killed this bug. I didn't even attempt to communicate with it. Shouldn't you have tried to understand the bug's perspective and and tried to live together in kind of a galactic harmony with our insects? No, guys. No, you forgot that we don't actually try to understand anything until it becomes human right so like q maybe we might try to understand it there or protect it anyway let's talk about it in the future (laughs) but we have got some fantastic news i guess guys can tell it's going to be a ridiculous show i mean i love it when book covers come out and uh it's been a long time since we have judged a book by its cover i'm not going to sing tonight for you guys but we have some covers tonight, and I think the second one we're going to talk about, we actually went out and bought a stamp. So you guys are going to start hearing that on the show. When it, when a cover is sufficiently exciting, you're going to know because there's going to be a stamp sound, and it'll sound like this. Ooh. That's right, guys. It's going to be Very awesome. cool. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I'm so glad we finally made this official. It needs to be Literary Treks official, you know? So I like Facebook official. <laughs> now it's Literary Treks official because it's got the stamp. Um, but we got the new cover, guys, for uh, Legacies, uh, part three, book three. Uh, last one in that special 50th anniversary trilogy, Purgatory's Key. What do you guys think? Because uh, these are really interesting when you kind of put them all side by side. 
and kind of see, you can almost see a progression of the story somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got that that really interesting structure that we saw in the second cover, uh, kind of, you know, front and center here with the Enterprise uh, looking like it's coming down low through the planet's atmosphere towards it. And yeah, it's just gorgeous. Uh, I wasn't really that impressed with the second cover uh, as much as this one. I just love something about the layout of this one. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I think on the second cover, you guys refer to it as looking like it was on Endor Mm -hmm. from The Return of the Jedi. But this cover, uh, it's that same structure, but we can clearly see it in water. It's not within the woods. And we have the original Enterprise in the atmosphere flying towards it. And it looks like the sun is setting. And it's a a beautiful cover. I love it. I wish we would have a lot of these covers as posters because I'd love to put this one up. Yeah, Yeah, this one made me wonder, like, if something happened to this world. Like, um, you know, the the other one looked like it was this green, lush, kind of beautiful place in the moonlight. And this one, it's either sunlight or it almost looks like maybe there's some sort of radiation that's happened on this planet or something. I don't know. But I, I do have to say, I think this one is sufficiently exciting because I want to know what the heck happened to this planet that we saw on cover two that looked so like beautiful and you know looked like you wanted to go walk in the moonlight. Mm. I have a prediction. I think the two covers are in different universes, and the key takes you from that one location to this location. Ah. So book cover two takes you to book cover three through this device. I like that. That could very well be, absolutely. Well, and I think Bruce has just been reading the blurb because (laughs) the back cover we got, it says 18 years ago, the Starship Enterprise thwarted an alien invasion from another universe, and Captain Robert April took possession of an interdimensional transfer device that made it possible. Since then, each captain of the Enterprise, from Christopher Pike to James T. Kirk, has guarded this secret with his life. Now, Romulan agents have succeeded in stealing the device and using it to banish Ambassador Sarek and Counselor Gorkun to an unknown realm in the midst of their groundbreaking Federation Klingon peace negotiations. With time running out as interstellar war looms in one universe and alien forces marshal in another... Will Captain Kirk and his crew preserve the tedious peace and reclaim the key between the dimensions? I believe mm. a dun-dun-dun is called for here. Yeah. <laughs> I, what, what I'm interested about this, too, is that uh, obviously we are taking place in some different universes because if we're talking about Sarek and Gorkon, this is not the right time period. This Enterprise, I feel like, at least on the cover, should be the movie Enterprise, the Enterprise A. Well, it might have been some like preliminary negotiations, that kind of thing. I, I don't know. It had to be a really long time ago to be preliminary negotiations mm-hmm. with the Klingons with the original Enterprise, though. Yeah, wasn't Gorkon uh, featured in one of the novels recently from the five-year mission in that time period was it on vanguard think, or something i, I think seem vanguard, to remember. yeah yeah so maybe it's tied to that in some ways mm, maybe could be. i mean we got dayton and kevin oh, so true. that would make sense uh so yeah this is just very interesting it really gets the old brain a percolating so <laughs> i'm excited to see where this one goes so great cover that's not the only news that we got uh, of course, we know there's going to be an audiobook release with those as well, which is fantastic. But 
I have to say, one of the coolest things that I have seen, my friends, in quite some time on a Star Trek book cover (laughs) is this new book by John Jackson Miller called Hell's Heart. This is part one. This is book one of the Parade Trilogy. And sweet mother of all that's holy, this is a great cover. (laughs) Sweet Christmas. That is a gorgeous, gorgeous cover. If there's, okay, so if the cover we just talked about is sufficiently exciting, I feel like there should be a rating that's maybe about three levels above that to uh, explain the the gorgeousness of this cover. Uh, Man. I mean, you've got the Enterprise E. It's dynamite! (laughs) That's the rating. That's what we'll use. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) What does the stamp for that one sound like? (laughs) Uh, I don't... I don't know. We can't afford that one yet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> seriously. We're going to need more patron support for that. So, guys, go to patreon.com slash trekfm, and you can see how you can support us getting a dynamite stamp. Back to Dan. <laughs> yeah, so this cover, you've got a huge you know, Enterprise E front and center. And in front of that, you've got the Enterprise A, which is really cool to see these two ships together on, on a cover. Uh, with a couple of Klingon birds of prey flying past the foreground, firing weapons. It, it's a really dynamic cover that just, oh man, I, I can't, you know, this one, even if it comes out after the ebook is available for me, I'm going to have to pick this one up just to have it in my hands because this is a gorgeous piece of art here. I really can't add any more to that. I mean, you guys have pumped this cover up so much. It's like, okay. I'm going to even take it further. This is the best freaking cover I've ever seen in my whole life. Not quite, but it's really good. I do like it a lot. I mean, like, yeah, like the uh, the Enterprise A is in front of the E. I don't I don't know if this actually takes place in the story or if this is just some concept of uh kind of blending the two time periods together just on the cover, but they're not represented that way in the novel. I'm very curious to read this. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's thinking that this is a non-representational cover, like that this doesn't represent a scene in the in the book. But with Star Trek, you never know. That's the great thing. And so uh, I think what makes this so exciting is just one, for me, you know, my heart kind of like palpitates big time every time I see the Enterprise A. You know, it's my favorite Enterprise. My second favorite Enterprise is right behind it. So, of course, that makes this even more exciting. And then, yeah, having these Klingon ships that don't look like they're firing on either of the Enterprises is really fascinating to me. On top of that, Dan, we got the blurb for this, and whoo, does this sound like a doozy. Oh, this is exciting to me. When Klingon Commander Kruge died in combat against James T. Kirk on the Genesis planet back in 2285, he left behind a powerful house in disarray and a series of ticking time bombs. The Phantom Wing, a secret squadron of advanced birds of prey, a cabal of loyal officers intent on securing his heritage, and young Korg, his thwarted would-be heir, willing to wait a Klingon lifetime to enact his vengeance. Now, 100 years later, while on a diplomatic mission for the United Federation of Planets, Captain Jean-Luc Picard and the crew of the USS Enterprise are snared in the aged Korg's trap and thrust directly in the middle of an ancient conflict. 
But as Commander Worf soon learns, Korg may be after far bigger game than anyone imagines, with the key being in a discovery made long ago by another first officer of the Enterprise, confronting the Federation Klingon Alliance with a crisis unlike any it has ever seen. Do you think that Korg is going to maybe try and go back in time and take out Kirk? And that's where we get maybe some time travel elements for Picard and the crew. So you actually do mix the different crews together. But this happened after, before Generations. So I don't know. I, I'm really, I just, I want this book and I want it now. That's all I got to say. You know, it's a story involving a character that was played by Christopher Lloyd. So <laughs> I am not ruling time travel out. <laughs> you have to hit warp 8.8 though. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. And and who knows? I mean, he could just burst onto the Enterprise. But God, you got to come to the future. You've got to do something about your kids. <laughs> so who knows what's going to happen? You mean his kid, Renee. We know he has a kid. <laughs> so there you go, right? And they're eating Pizza Hut that just... Psh- pops up real quick so (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if this is going to be a time travel story to me it sounds like it takes place in the uh during kirk's era uh after the genesis planet and then we fast forward to uh picard's time uh and then they make it it says they make a discovery from long ago that was discovered by uh first officer of the other enterprise so i don't know if we'll see time travel because in some ways don't you feel like they use a little t- they use time travel a little too often <laughs> i no, i mean i i'm not saying there needs to be time travel i'm just wondering like how the connection is going to happen if it's going to be one of those things where the storyline taking place in the past is taking concurrently quote unquote with the storyline we're getting in the future and so what we're learning about in the past characters in the future are also I don't, learning about I don't know so <laughs> uh, my, it already makes my head hurt and we're not even talking about time travel so uh, just this this sounds great and the fact that we already know from John Jackson Miller that this book is the series is going to be kind of spanning all of the basically the from Kirk's time period and all the 21st century era you know this could involve all sorts of great characters I mean you know, uh, it could involve Titan. It could involve Deep Space Nine characters, Voyager. Who knows what's going to go on here? So this could just be basically a destiny-like event, which to me, we haven't had one of those in a while. So mm-hmm. I'm ready. I'm hoping that's what this is. Yeah, and I mean, you know, 50th anniversary. That's uh, that's a pretty good time to do it. You know, you might I mean, not be wrong. The, it, <laughs> it's the time for stuff to hit the fan. You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> It's 50 years. Let's let's let it loose. So mm-hmm. um, on top of that, guys, I mean, if that wasn't exciting enough, we got an announcement from IDW with a new comic called Waypoint. And it is going to be an anthology comic series. And the first issue coming out uh, due in September is going to feature two stories. And it's going to have a TNG story starring Data and Jordy. And then it's going to have a TOS story with Uhura. And I got to ask you guys, uh, what do you think about this? Well, this is pretty cool. This actually really reminds me of, um, do you guys remember um, when Marvel Comics had uh, the Star Trek uh, 
titles. They had a, a series called Star Trek Unlimited, and they did TOS mm-hmm. and yep. TNG stories kind of alternating. Uh, this really reminds me of that. And those were some of my favorite comic stories. So, you know, really excited to see uh, what they do with these crews here. And, you know, from the artwork and, and the descriptions and stuff, it's it's the classic TOS crew and the classic TNG crew. You know, it, it's the ones we're familiar with. Uh, you know, looks like more five-year mission stories, which, you know, some people may love, some people may love not quite so much. But, you know really the potential for some really cool stories here uh especially since it seems they they're kind of able to do whatever they want here so it looks really interesting i was pleased to see this announcement because the jj altverse comic line from idw ends in august and i thought so here we are on the 50th anniversary and we're ending this comic line i think issue 60 and then what? Mm-hmm. Are, are there going to be any other Star Trek comics after this? Well, this confirms that. So with Waypoint, we are not only getting more Star Trek comics, but we're going to touch all these different crews and, and series. So I'm excited about that. But at the same time, I like the continuing storylines and and uh, adventures instead of jumping around to the different crews. So I'm I'm a little mixed on how I feel about it, but I'm just glad we're at least getting something. Yeah, I I think that this is is a really interesting idea, and um, I like the what what actually makes me most excited is is not this TNG and this original series comic coming out, but the idea that this could span and they promise it'll span all of the Trekverse, so we could get Starfleet Academy stories, we could get NXO One stories, we could get Deep Space Nine, Voyager. Uh, we could do even, I mean, think about doing Titan, Enterprise-E uh, kind of stories, um, DTI, Gary 7, I mean, think uh, Aventine. Uh, we could do so much with this series. So that, to me, is what is really exciting. You know, I'm kind of TNG'd and, and uh, TOS'd out. I mean, maybe that's not copacetic to say, <laughs> but I feel like I want some love for the other series, you know? Um, and yes, the original series is 50 years old, but it also spawned some great stuff. And, and I'd love to see just more of that and more love for that, um, uh, because Star Trek is so much more than just the original series. And, um, I'm excited that this series looks like it's really going to do that. It's really going to be about all of Star Trek, not just one particular era, um, I am surprised, though, that they are going to be ending the ongoing series before they reach, like, issue 100. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that, um, you know, they wouldn't want to reach that kind of milestone. I I don't know. That's really interesting. I'm kind of sad because they've had some great stuff recently. In fact, Dan, you and I just talked about that last week. Uh, last two series that they did, The Legacy of Spock and uh, Manifest Destiny, I mean, some of their best stuff ever. Yeah. And for sure. so if that's the kind of stuff they, they still had in the, the bank for themselves, man, that kind of sucks. That's going to be gone. Yeah, especially when you have Star Trek Beyond coming out in July and then the last issue follows that and then it's done. Mm-hmm. You would think, if anything, with a new movie coming out, they would keep that series going for a while because this is just more publicity about that universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least until the Blu-ray comes out. <laughs> Yeah, at least. Yeah, who knows? Uh, but I, I think this is, is great news, though, and uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So I can't wait to see uh, where we end up going with this series because there's just, as 
a Vulcan friend said, there are always possibilities. Very, very true. <laughs> Especially the possibility that this next generation story, it says it focuses on Captain Geordi LaForge. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I'm, I was kind of wondering, we see LaForge as captain of the Challenger in that Voyager episode, Timeless. I was kind of wondering if maybe they're tying into that uh, future version of Geordi somehow. Uh, I don't know. I'm really intrigued by that. And didn't he become captain in Indistinguished, was it Indistinguished Magic oh, or whatever that novel was? Indistinguished from, from Magic, yeah. Yeah. He was captain in that, and then they seemed to drop that storyline from <laughs> well, the other Yeah, novels. he's still a captain, I think. Well, they... Uh, or did he take a demotion? He took a demotion. They kind of so could say undid that in a later yeah. novel, yeah. Okay. I have to ask you guys one question. Why is Channing Tatum on this TOS comic? <laughs> uh, this this cover, I, I just... Is, is that supposed to be Kirk? Because to me, I just kind of looks like Magic Mike. I mean, 50 years, and they can't get William Shatner's likenesses right here. It just, yeah, no, it's um, it's not good. And I don't know, if you look just behind Kirk, and it's really weird, it's supposed to be Uhura, but I'm seeing someone with blue eyes that kind of looks vaguely like Ezri Tax. I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I don't know. I can't shake that that feeling that, I'm not seeing Uhura here. No, and Scotty looks a little bit more like Walter Matthau than <laughs> I feel like he does James Dewan. So, yeah, all of the likenesses here, not so good. <laughs> Sulu looks about 12. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The TNG comic's better. But, uh, yeah, Sulu really does, and him and Chekhov do look like 12-year-olds. So <laughs> Actually, McCoy looks like the best one, I think. Yeah. I well. think so. And and uh, actually, way in the background, but Nurse Chapel looks like Nurse Chapel, too. So <laughs> that's so odd. Hmm. Anyway. <sighs> well, Dan, hey, uh, let everybody know uh, some things about the show before we hit our feature. Absolutely. Well, as you all know, Literary Treks is just one of the many podcasts we have here on Trek FM. We have shows covering all corners of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a star rating and a review. That really helps our shows rise in the search results on iTunes. And especially during the 50th anniversary, as we've mentioned, a lot of people are going to be searching for Star Trek. And this really helps shows on the network remain visible. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link there as well. Now if you want to get into contact with us, we have a form on the website at trek.fm contact. You can leave us a voicemail there as well. Just look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com trekfm. We're on Twitter at trekfm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. While you're on Facebook, check out the Babel Conference. That's our listeners-only group. You'll have to ask to be let in, but if you're a listener to Trek FM, we'd love to have you on there. Just type in the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. For Literary Treks, we also have a Goodreads group. We have bookshelves there with all of our previously covered books, as well as what we're currently reading so that you know what's coming up for future episodes. And there are always great conversations happening about all the books and comics in the discussion boards there as well. We have a long tradition here on Literary Treks of taking things seriously and having a good time while doing that. 
Tonight, well, we were going to take it seriously, but then the comics wouldn't let us. So, uh, guys, we have a great show for everyone tonight. I, I'm, I love doing this. You know, Dan um, and, and Bruce, we have all enjoyed kind of digging into what Star Trek could have been with the Gold Key comics. And so, you know, when I thought to myself, you know, we haven't covered the uh, IDW collection of some old DC comics. Uh, this one is Star Trek Classics Volume 4. Uh, I thought, well, that'll be fun. And, and I had no idea that it was going to be so reminiscent of Gold Key and not something more in line with, oh, what it's based on, Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what more can we say other than, like, I, I, I almost have to say that I'm, I'm glad that we covered the Gold Key comics or a bunch of them already. It really helped prepare me for what these are. These really uh, are the gold key comics of TNG. I mean, you know, there's it, it, it's there's really no other way to put these. Those of you out there who have read the comics that these are based on, that, that they reprinted here, you will know exactly what we mean when we say that. Well, the first issue of these comics came out in uh, February of 19, uh, 1988. I'm not used to saying 19 anymore. 1988. And so this is in the second half of the first season. And now I didn't, I started collecting, I, well, I, I can't even say I was collecting. I started reading the Next Generation DC Comics sometime after that. I don't, I'm not exactly sure, probably about two years after. And I'll have to dig them out because I don't remember them feeling like gold key comics. But maybe back then it felt natural, but years later they felt, feel really dorky now <laughs> what was so interesting about and, and the first issue is called where no one has gone before and what i kind of thought was great it, it just opening this up and flipping through you know this first page second page is that the artwork has that wonderful 80s sensibility um i've read a lot of old dc comics i i read uh, crisis on infinite earths and this is what the art looks like for that you know uh, there's a lot of, of great detail. It's very vivid. And so for that alone, it made this really interesting. What was also really interesting about it was how I felt like the style so hadn't so much changed from the Gold Key era. It just looks a little bit more refined, but it still has a lot of those same sensibilities, which is so interesting because... They must have not had any production art or something on this or never have seen the show because so much of this doesn't look like the Enterprise we're used to. <laughs> um, you know, the ship itself looks pretty normal. But once you get inside, the bridge, I feel like, is the only place that feels legit. Everything else looks like just random sci-fi crap that they made up. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I, I, I have to mention the costumes here um i mean obviously the tng first season uniforms were pretty special in and of themselves but what they do to them here uh and and maybe i'm jumping a little bit ahead here but when we meet the bickering bickleys um <laughs> what are they wearing They're, i i didn't know capes starfleet were... <laughs> leotards <laughs> legitimate leotards and and not with legs but mm. you know like cut like a leotard like they're gymnasts yeah. with capes 
you know the Badmirals are so pissed they didn't get a cape. I just picture, and I can't remember her name, but but the little short character from The Incredibles, like, she came on after this issue and was like, no, no capes! capes. Edna. Edna, Edna yes. Edna mode. No capes. Man, I, no, the Bic- the Bickleys uh, really freak me out. Because I, I, you're right. I mean, first of all, Starfleet uniforms that don't have legs to them it's just they're not even scants i mean this is legit to a man and a woman wearing a leotard it doesn't work (laughs) especially for dude and right and then he's got a cape i mean they both had capes like i i don't green capes what does that mean? Does that like some kind of rank or division because <laughs> they're green? I like I don't understand. I, I there's so much I don't understand. Well, like those. those I think that's are... just the key here. The gold key is is that we don't understand <laughs> what's happening. <laughs> no, I was good with this comic. No, seriously, I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, I, you know, I know it's early in the next generation, and this is in the '80s, and there's a little things that seem a little off. But this came up in like what page fifteen, mm-hmm. and I the, they come running out of a room yelling at each other, bickering, and I mean not just just like light bickering, like they're like almost ready to physically attack one another, mm-hmm. and they're heading to the bridge, and they're just calling each other out, like you know even bickering in front of Picard, and I'm like okay wait there's some weird thing going on some dimensional rift and and something's affecting the minds of the crew that's okay it's going to lead into something like that but that never happens this is like normal and i start thinking did i miss an episode of next generation where this couple was introduced cuz they just seem like they just appear out of nowhere and picard is just like putting up with like he's like oh they're at it again uh this is the price you pay for having a ship with families i'm like no what no no what do you oh yeah no i don't have to put up with this i'm the captain <laughs> shut up that's what you expect him to say yeah you know or like that's what know, picard find them say. to quarters and get them off the bridge because they're in no state to work like it just... right why does he get so mad at wesley these people are more annoying than he is <laughs> yes exactly and, and it seemed to be absolutely useless to the ship I mean, legitimately don't do anything. So it's weird. And and pretty sure Picard leaves them by themselves on the bridge at one point. <laughs> like, this is not a smart thing to do. I mean, I just expect when you come back, chairs are going to be overturned. They're going to be throwing things at each other, replicating pies and stuff. You know, plates are smashed. I don't know where the plates came from, but they probably just replicated those that could throw to each other. It's just, oh, it's just awful. And... I gotta ask you guys a question, but when were Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner ever this ripped? <laughs> I mean, the uniforms are legit skin tight. Like, they're drawing the characters like they would a superhero. Mm-hmm. So everybody is nothing but pectoral muscles and rippling biceps. I mean, it's... a, a Brent Spiner wish he looked this good. Uh, I mean... <laughs> All these people wish they looked this good in this comic. It's insane. It's hilarious. Well, there's actually a, a few instances in throughout these stories that Data has his top completely off. And man, <laughs> that is one ripped android. Like, who would have thought? Man. <laughs> now we know what Yara went for. There it so. is. There you go. So she well, saw wait, him without the top one. Is like, 
All right. Know what's happening when we get to the naked now. <laughs> and now we've seen it. Um, and But the only person that's not ripped is Wesley. Actually, Wesley looks smaller in the comic than he does on the show. Yeah, and it's <laughs> true. They've, they've, okay, Wesley is one of my big pet peeves in these in these stories because, you know, in the first season, yeah, he was annoying and he had, you know, annoying qualities and stuff. And Will Wheaton himself has said he didn't like how Wesley was written and stuff. But he was never like a petulant uh disobedient annoying 10 year old like he is here like he was 15 in the first season and they've got him here like he's this little bratty kid who's always getting underfoot and you know wanting picard to go still smarter than everybody else yeah that's what bothers me he's like he's consistently not only just as annoying as ever Mm -hmm. but he's still smarter than everybody else on the ship which is it's like come on guys this i don't so this story is pretty interesting for the spirit in the sky. Um, they are searching through this area of space. They're kind of cruising through. Apparently it's Christmas time on the Enterprise, and they're about to have a big old Christmas party. But not just one, but like they've got parties happening all over the ship for the different alien races that are also represented. They're going on, and they end up near this planet that they're supposed to be visiting and the planet hails them and says hey we're so glad you're here and then starts shooting at them they're like what is going on so that's really the mystery of this whole issue is why is this planet which says that it wants to be our friend also shooting at us and it takes them a little really long time to deliberate about this they I mean they go and have a staff meeting in Picard's ready room about it it's just it's funny i mean everything just feels off kilter yeah i I mean everything everything about this is really really weird so yeah spirit in the sky i mean that's supposed to be santa claus at the end i'm assuming yeah like the spirit in the sky was the spirit of santa (laughs) i and and okay are the aliens the grinch because that's all I'm seeing when I see them too. It, yes, yeah. they are. <laughs> that's that's what I couldn't figure it out. It's like this seems so abnormal for a Star Trek comic, unless it's just Gold Key. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that's the only thing that I can put this in any kind of category. It's like, yeah, the fact that at the end the characters. The, the people from the planet end up looking like the Grinch and that the spirit in the sky is legitimately Santa Claus mm-hmm. somehow. <laughs> but they never say that. I mean, he just is drawn and looks just like Santa unless there's somebody else in a red coat and red hat with big boots. I don't know. Yeah, he was skinny and then he plumps up like Santa. And he's got the beard and the red suit. I just attributed to that that this being or this entity was reading their minds and projected a image that they were all thinking of. Because <laughs> it was Christmas time. So You're trying to apply logic to these stories. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying my best. I'm sorry. I, and what I don't understand is, is you know, when they, they finally beam down to this planet, uh, and they run into what can only be described as the world's biggest off-road derby fighting machine. 
Like, it is just weird. I mean, it looks something... I, I feel like I'm looking at a vehicle from a future version of Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> it, it's it's like a futurized version of that. It's just weird. Um, well, see, you're already... Because you're mixing up two issues. Issues Issue one had the big machine. Issue mm. two had the Santa Claus. Right, yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm totally missing issues. I'm sorry. But that's it's how so much confusing. all this kind of runs together in a blurb yeah. in our mind. Just, just yeah. Oh, yeah. So confusing. Where no man was born before is a is a pretty simple issue, and and that is where the Enterprise has been down to this planet that they've been welcomed to, and also shot at the same time. And it turns out that what's happening is that there's a segment of the population that's bored, and they're with Dan, they're bored. That's what happened with the Kolki comics. Wow. And they're playing war <laughs> all, games. All these, all yeah. these parallels. <laughs> yeah. And um, and it turns out that the, the entire planet is actually run by Benjamin Button. <laughs> or those, those aliens from that one Voyager episode. Yes. Yes. It's actually one thing I did notice about these stories is a lot of little things that come up when, in them kind of are used later in the series or in various other series. Uh, you know, they, they kind of, for as weird as these stories are, they actually predict a few different storylines that do pop up over the years. And this was the first like one Picard I Picard getting a jacket. Absolutely. Maybe not quite as ostentatious as the one he gets yeah, here. Yeah, a little but... flamboyant there, Picard. <laughs> Doesn't it have wings or something when he stretches out his arms? <laughs> I think he it's can nice. fly with that. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, so that... this. It's a really interesting uh, issue where no one has gone before, and it really sets the stage for everything that happened. As we talk about with Spirit in the Sky, uh, we went in a little reverse order there, but that one is just—it's just so weird. And I have to say, what what are people wearing <laughs> exactly. on the Enterprise in Spirit in the Sky? I, I just—I I don't understand. It's so. I, I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> well, I, you don't like Yar's cat suit? Yeah. You know, well, black leather? Tasha talks about not getting to do too much celebrating when she was a child on the colony. Uh, so she's going to let loose tonight uh, as as a dominatrix? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then Troy is dressed like a Grecian goddess? And... <laughs> Beverly looks like the same kind of thing. I just, it's a really weird thing. And then the party they go to is in the holodeck where there is a ski slope uh, through in half of it uh, with people skiing down and Christmas trees and everything. It's just out of this world weird. And then Data is wearing a vest <laughs> with no shirt underneath and a like choker. <laughs> like is this the matrix party like i feel like we you know remember the scene in the matrix where they go to the goth club you know and how people are dressed that's what data looks like he walked out of well i feel like his he he and yar must have gotten together on their costume choices and decided to go as you know something together what they're going as together i'm not going to speculate this is a family show but you know it's 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 a little disturbing right and picture all these weird costumes and they're on a holodeck skiing with a bunch of <laughs> grinches running around with big teeth that's what this issue is 
They're on the on the with holiday, Santa Claus skiing with snow. Don't you think they'd be wearing more clothes, not less? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> well, Data doesn't get cold, so he didn't need to worry about <laughs> being shirtless. Just the vest is fine. It is a special special issue, and um, and I have to say, would have been interesting if um the characters dressed like this on the TV show. Uh, because we know from the original series uh, that Gene Roddenberry wouldn't have had a problem with that. So That's very true. I mean, Yeah, this would have to be for HBO, though. You couldn't put this on regular. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, come on. We had men in scants, so I, this is not that, that odd. But <laughs> yeah, so the Grinch tries to steal Christmas, or help actually save Christmas, because these people are trying to figure out what the spirit in the sky is and they want it and i don't i don't know this is the issue is weird well we got it's the we got the post weird. heart growing three sizes larger grinch luckily so you know they were they were the good guys here yeah <laughs> which is really nice okay the next issue starts off a three-parter which is going to involve q and that's the q factor q's day and q effects and all of the storylines here really do. I mean, it is really one big continuous issue. I do kind of like the beginning of this one that <laughs> Yar is running around and she's like hiding in places and she's seeing shadows. And it just turns out that her and Wesley are playing around basically in the hallways and she's teaching him how to like use a phaser and all. <laughs> let's, let's. In the holodeck. Well. I, I think they're actually, yeah, like you say, running around the corridors and stuff. So let, let's actually analyze this. The security chief is... <laughs> oh, wait, now you're going to get lodged. Running around, <laughs> running around with a teenage kid chasing each other with phasers that are actual phasers. They just mentioned later, oh, they're only set to... And I don't want to hear it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> chasing kids around the ship with phasers. Good. I Good God. I... <laughs> What is with these people? Well, I, I gotta say, though, I mean, if this is her free time, you know, if she's not on duty, and she could do whatever she wants, you know? So, if I mean, she wants to chase around a 10-year-old with a phaser, and that makes her feel better about herself, I guess, who are we to say it's bad, right? Uh, Picard <laughs> doesn't agree, though, so because they run into him in the hallway, and he is not happy. Yeah, this it's a weird way to start, and... What what it does, though, is it sets up after they get in trouble or in hot water with Picard because everybody likes to get in hot water in these issues because they talk like they're from the 1950s. <laughs> Yar is telling Wesley about her childhood, and this is actually going to come into play. We kind of learn more about uh, the colony that Yar came from and just how horrible it was. And, I mean, let's, let's not beat around the bush. I mean, they just talked about how her life was... One of being, you know, constantly on the run, uh, raped. I mean, this is awful stuff mm -hmm. in this comic. I mean, and throughout this issue, when we get into Yar's backstory, it is, I was very, the way they talk about it and everything, um, it's always seen as bad, but it's also, she's also somewhat, I don't know, it's, it just seems weird. It seemed off to me. It, uh, you know, for for the hilarity and the uh, the weirdness we've seen, it takes a very dark turn. Like I remember when I was reading this, um, like just kind of sitting up straight and going, oh, oh, OK, this is what we're getting into now. Like it gets dark fast. And 
Yeah, they they really seem to not beat around the bush at all uh, with regards to her experiences and what she went through uh, at the hands of especially the the criminal we get introduced to here. Uh, and yeah, it's dark. It's uh, darker than any time they ever talked about it on the series. Yeah, when this issue uh, starts off this, well, you know, the chasing through the corridors is one thing. It was a little weird, but Picard does step in and say, you know, this is inappropriate. You can't do this. And then we get this storyline of Yar's past. And I'm like, okay, now I obviously Christmas is now over. We're getting serious now. And I'm like, this might be a really good, true Star Trek story. And we're learning a lot about Yar's character. So I would say things started off well. And we'll go from there. No, it it does really start off well uh, because the story continues where they come across a ship where they can't, they don't know what's going on with the ship. Like they're not getting any answers to their hails. Um, they're not reading any life signs, but it is a massive ship that looks very weird. Legitimately, uh, one of the weirdest designs I've ever seen. It has kind of a U shape at the bottom with two spheres in the middle of it i i it's connected by uh i I don't i don't know it's just so hard to describe it's like picture a bat lith with two death stars in the middle that are connected with two bridges which is yeah (laughs) it's the weirdest thing i've ever seen um i don't it's almost like an upside down telephone from back in the day you know Mm. like if you were to turn it upside down you know you'd see the ringer you'd pull off you know and it's weird so they decide they're going to beam over to the ship to figure out what's going on and can i just stop you right there real quick because this this part where they're getting ready to beam over is one of my favorite scenes from all these comics because Riker identifies that data and jordy are going to go over as part of the landing party and on the bridge, he says, they've both proven themselves valuable assets on previous maneuvers. And Troy steps up and she says, Data? LaForge? No. You're both going to be needed here. And they go, very well, I guess. <laughs> I'm like, when does Troy step in and tell Riker? Nope, no, 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 no. They're staying see, here. We got to remember last, you know, the uh, first issue where no one has gone before, Troy has visions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Of the future, and they're pretty correct, like ninety eight percent. So, uh, that's why they listen to Troy. I don't know where they got that power from, because she doesn't have that power even in the very beginning of the series. Uh, right. and, and so, and all the mind melds that she does too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean it's like she's giving psychic back rubs because she's always grabbing their <laughs> shoulders, and it's like, what is she doing? Like. Get your hands off me. It's weird. Counselor Troy's it, psychic back rubs. <laughs> mm, yeah. It's it's odd. It's so odd. So they go to this ship and they end up getting beat up by somebody who's invisible to them, having no idea what's going on. And they get beamed back over the ship. Riker's in bad shape. Troy's in bad shape. Everybody's in bad shape. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, Troy tries to do her psychic back rub on Yar. Can't really <laughs> figure out what happened. And who should show up on the bridge but our friend Q. And this is where things start to fall apart because <laughs> start I... Start to fall? I, okay, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> well, in, in the sense that I ha- I started 
to lose the storyline because it got so convoluted mm-hmm. between Q Factor, Q's Day, and Q Effects. The storyline couldn't seem to figure out exactly what it wanted to do. So it's... Yeah. Because I, I, maybe you guys can help me out. I'll, I'll try to explain it, what I think happened, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. So the basic storyline here is that Q from the very beginning, has tried to get humans to be a part of the Q continuum. That's his mission, apparently, from the Q. And so he's here, again, to try to get the humans to either prove that they shouldn't be in the Q continuum or that they should be in the Q continuum. Mm Mm-hmm. And because the Q t- continuum needs some type of humanity, and and so I guess that's what he's trying to to prove that they're they're worthy enough to come into the continuum to help it out. Would okay. that sound mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think that sounds about right. So. Okay. <laughs> so I'm trying what, to help you out here. Yeah. I'm what gets confusing about all of this is that once the other Q show up. What they say and what our normal cue is saying don't seem to connect very well, so I'm still not really sure exactly what happens. And and all of these three issues start to kind of fall in together because once Q shows up, uh, the saucer section gets lost in some sort of temporal rift or the Q continuum itself, maybe. Um, and then Picard and the, the Star Drive are left dealing with Q himself and trying to subdue him, which luckily when they sub- they can subdue him because he gets turned human and Picard finally gets to punch Q. <laughs> Something he's apparently always wanted to do. Wouldn't you want to punch him, though? I really I mean, can't blame him. <laughs> yeah, I really don't. So Q is turned human, keeps whining about being human, and just wants to die. <laughs> um, and Throughout the, the rest of the issues, yeah. Yeah. Um, he accidentally, well, he freezes Worf, but they tell, they tell us that he got decapitated because actually Jordy even says but on page 89, Sir, think, he's... A- which was making up a word completely, but... Decapitated. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it says. Yeah, I think I think the word he's looking for is incapacitated, but yeah, it's like uh, a bit maybe so the yeah. lang- Engl- English language changes over the centuries. It does, it does. So uh, we'll just we'll give him that. Okay, yeah, um, fair enough. <laughs> and so yeah, Worf is frozen, and then uh, Jordy dies or almost dies as Q tries to kill himself. But Picard stops him, and instead of shooting himself in the head, he accidentally shoots Jordy. And I don't, I don't know. Um, and then right. there's this whole thing with this character, these colonists from this colony that Yar, bro- you know, um, grew up in. They're involved in this too, but I have no idea how they're involved. So, guys, fill me in. <laughs> I. I have to admit it was kind of during this whole part that I was kind of losing track of like where the characters are, who's where, 
you know, what, what's going on. I was just as a little, uh, side note here, I was reading this today and it must've been the look on my face. One of my friends asked me, he's like, Oh, how's the comic? I turned up to him and I said, Q has just tried to kill himself. Picard has stopped him, causing him to accidentally shoot Jordy, and Data has erupted in a fit of rage. And he just looked at me and said, oh, enjoy. (laughs) It's, it's, ah, it's, it's kind of inconceivable how off the rails this story goes and just like it kind of lost me i have to admit oh i was so lost i was so lost and i do try to bring logic to these things i'm trying to give it the benefit of the doubt and so again we have you know earlier the the bickleys <laughs> fighting each other uh. uncontrollably and now we see data with this huge emotional outburst where he's going to kill Q, you murderer, Jordy's innocent, this isn't fair. I mean, it's all rage of emotion. And I'm thinking again, okay, now I'm seeing where all these issues are tying together. There's some entity or there's something that's getting everyone, the Bickleys and the data and everybody into this weird emotional state. And that payoff never came. So I'm really disappointed. Well, and and what's weird is that this connection with these colonists... With Yar, Yar and her choice when she has the the opportunity to kill the colonist that's responsible for, like, subjecting her to basically a room-like existence. Like, if anybody's seen the movie The Room, that kind of existence Mm -hmm. where they're taken advantage of, they're raped, and they're told they're cared about, which is just awful, awful, awful stuff. She has the opportunity to kill that guy, and she chooses not to because she says she's now a Federation officer, and she arrests him in the name of the Federation. And this is what causes the rest of the Q continuum to say, oh, you guys are cool now, and leads the saucer section to get back to where the star drive is and for things to start to slowly get resolved with the other Q, who's still human. But what doesn't make sense to me is exactly why these colonist people are involved in the first place. That's where I'm really... It's like, did Q... Because it seems like Q, our Q, got them involved to try and bring out this, I guess, hatred and rage in Yar so that she would kill them. But then that didn't happen. So I just, it's, it, it's also confusing. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes my well, brain hurt. If they're from this colony where there's all, they're doing all these bad things, maybe he thought they would come to the Enterprise and, and cause all kinds of havoc and, and, and do ruthless things and have the Enterprise crew go against them. And the two parties would fight and, and eventually, like you said, the rage of Yar will try to, kill this one guy that was really disturbing it was pretty much indicating that you know he did rape her and they were showing scenes from that I mean, it wasn't real graphic but you did see him like tearing her clothes mm-hmm. and um so yeah that's what i was i was i felt the same way too but i i, I think that's what the intent was and, and i'm not really that sure yeah which is you know really disturbing I mean, I am not comfortable with that idea 
being kind of the central focus of this story. I mean, right? That's Q's plan. Yeah, really. Like, like how demented is Q? And then, like, then Q turns human, and everybody starts like being on his side. Like, come on, yeah, come on. Like, they start, like, giving excuses for Q. Oh, well, he had all this power. He didn't know. He doesn't remember what it's like to be human. Blah, 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 blah. That's BS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it feels like... Okay, A, it feels like a lot of stuff that happens in these stories happens because we need to set up certain situations and, and get there. You know, and that's kind of bad enough. But B, if it's, you know purposefully plotted this way and thought out that i don't that's even worse like i i really can't get behind this story i can't get into it because i'm constantly going like you is this the story like is this what they're trying to say here and yeah it's and luckily i guess we could say this wasn't really plotted out because we can't figure out the plot yeah so i mean (laughs) it's it's just crazy. Um, I, I think this this really falls apart at this at this point, and it doesn't really pick back up until so these colonists have been put in the brig and they are able to escape. They come back to uh, they they find out where everybody is basically. They're tracking everybody down. They track them all to sick bay because that's where everybody is. Jordy's being cared for still. Q is in there. He was being cared for as he'd been turned human. Um, all of this stuff. And for some reason, the colonist is gonna kill Jordy. Yeah. Why? Like I and I th- I think the reason given was well they don't care about Q so they won't care if I'm trying to kill him so let me threaten someone they do care about. But. Right. Why? Yeah, like I I don't get what his end goal is here. Like uh it's and then so illogical. <laughs> Data is shot like a thousand times <laughs> with a phaser and apparently all it does is slowly and I mean slowly drain him of power? Right. Mm-hmm. Right, to the point that Q steps in to save Data and gets shot. So Q saves Data's life. Mm -hmm. Which was, I do have to say to their credit, another kind of future storyline idea that that we see pop up again. And I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. Because when Q loses his power in the next generation, that's how he gets it back is he commits a selfless act. And the Q continuum says, okay, you've got your power back. Uh I was right, like, oh, that's which I thought cool. the the writers of the Next Generation must have read this comic <laughs> and got the idea for Deja Q from it. I'm sure that's what oh, it I'm, is. I'm sure that must be yeah. <laughs> but if that were the case, thank God that's the only idea they get from this comic <laughs> because wow. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, let's just be honest. No, please. Um, <laughs> this is. Not good. No. Um. You know, I think that we could say that uh, where no one has gone before in Spirit in the Sky were super fun and crazy and weird, but this is just not good, uh, And which is unfortunate because it has Q in it, and, and lots of times the comics with Q are fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm thinking of those Unlimited comics where Q and Trelane, they flip Picard and Kirk 
Oh yeah, that's fun. Great story. So this, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this stuff is not so. No. So, ser- in all seriousness, these were published, like I said, like starting in February of '88. So this the show had only been on for a few months. How do you have any idea what how much time in advance before publication they start a comic? Because to be fair. They probably didn't have much to go on. They probably hadn't seen many episodes of the show to really know what to do with it. And Q, they probably weren't that familiar with. So I have to give them, you know, a little leeway here because mm-hmm. it was so early on in the series. Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely true. There there are some indications that, you know, at least some of them had aired, you know, when, when they're doing this because they... Or maybe they just had access to like the scripts or something, but they refer to Q's two previous visits. So, you know, by that point, the show has been around for a little while, but maybe the story they had going, they couldn't change a lot or something. But, you know, as the story goes on, these characterizations get more and more ridiculous because you have to think they know more about the characters by that point. So... I think this is also a time where they pull, they didn't necessarily pull writers that were familiar with Star Trek. They would say, okay, I know you've been working on the Daffy Duck comic, so <laughs> I, I need you to come over here and work on this next generation thing. I know you don't familiar with Star Trek, but here, take this home, read it over the weekend, and then write something. I don't know. Yeah. See, I that's, mean, that's what's weird awesome to me. Too. Yeah. Because it, it, it just feels like, I mean, the original series has been out in syndication for so many years by this point. I mean,. The original series movies have all been out for the most part by this point, you know, so it's it's crazy to me to think that this is somebody's idea of Star Trek. Like, it just doesn't fit with anything we've seen before except for the Gold Key comics for the most part. Just very odd. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right, Bruce. I think these writers, my, my guess is they can't have been that familiar with Star Trek. And we do have one last story for you guys to talk about, and it's called Here Today. And this one got a little bit more normal, Star Trek-y. I mean, it actually felt like an original series episode. Uh, it, it felt just like an original series episode. And they are searching for this planet called Faltos. Right. That's right, a planet is called Faltos. And they are... Um, on their way, that's that's really where they've been progressing this whole time and throughout these comics. They've been trying to get to this area to search for this planet. And the moment that Picard gives the order to go to Faltos, Data says, nope, can't do that. What? <laughs> You're an android. Just do it. Nope, can't do that. <laughs> And it turns out that uh, Starfleet Command... I can't do that. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry, Dave. Um, that's great reference, Dan. Man, why didn't I think of that? Totally true. Uh, man, it's so weird, too, because then Starfleet Command calls and goes, um, you guys need to just follow Data's orders from now on at this point. Uh, they're like, what the What? That guy that flew into a rage and nearly killed the <laughs> omnipotent person the last time? Follow that guy, really? That emotionally <laughs> unstable robot? <laughs> yeah, but he's muscled robots. <laughs> you gotta listen to him. He has tremendous strength and muscles to him. But 
I thought, I mean, it, I, I, I kind of bought it because they explain that uh, he wasn't even aware that he he knew the coordinates of the planet, that when they got to the certain sector of space, this program kind of clicked in his in his head that, oh, wait, I'm supposed to do this. I'm fl- following Starfleet orders. I wasn't even, I didn't even know about until we got here and they just clicked in. So it was like some hidden mission in the conscious, subconsciousness mind of his, so Starfleet, his muscle mind. Starfleet kind of created their own Manchurian candidate for some reason. Right. And yeah. No, and again, this is one of those things that, again, reminded me of something that comes up later in Star Trek when uh, Dr. Sung activates Data's homing thing and he all of a sudden, like, without really thinking, takes the Enterprise to uh, where his creator's hanging out. You know, just kind of another little thing where something just clicks in his head and all of a sudden he's following some programming. I thought, this is, you know, I, I mean, obviously the writers of Next Generation didn't read this and get the ideas, but the writers... Oh, I of thought this... they did. I thought that was your point. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm saying, like, the writers of these comics had some good ideas, like some interesting ideas that, you know, I think entirely coincidentally would be um, kind of thought of by other people later and used quite well, so... Well, this is where Data basically takes over the ship and starts flying them towards Faltos, they hope. Uh, Troy gives Data her ultimate psychic massage, (laughs) uh, finds out some information, and they end up finally at the planet. They made it. And turns out that, long story short, nobody can leave. Once you get here, I'm, I'm sorry, there's no way to leave. Yeah, Uh, you know, kind of another bit of a sci-fi trope that we see, you know, over the course of lots of different shows and stuff. But, you know, I I actually did start to get into this story. I thought it was interesting, you know, all the people that had kind of uh, found themselves there and built this society. And, uh, you know, the idea that, of course, you know, we know they're going to figure out a way to leave. And again, it's kind of buried in Data's uh, memories and that sort of thing but the idea of you know offering that choice to leave to these people and them refusing or at least the leaders refusing on behalf of all of their citizens kind of unfairly uh you know is it, it it was at least it held my interest this story for sure yeah i same here i would say this is my favorite of <laughs> sorry <laughs> low bar <laughs> <laughs> Wait, right. This is my favorite one out of the six, and that is not saying a whole lot. But uh, I did like the fact that this council of whatever they are, elders or something on this planet, that one is a Klingon. So I thought that was interesting. I was like, okay, so there was a Klingon that got captured, that got caught in this planet and couldn't leave. And, and the style of the art of him looked like like Klingons we saw in the motion picture. Mm -hmm. So that made me think he may have come from the 23rd century. And then there's the, I don't remember what the race is called, the black on one side and white on the other. I like that. And he made a callback of not wanting to go back to his planet because it was, you know, it's not a place you'd want to go back to. It's been devastated. It's destroyed or whatever. So, and I mean, not I, only that, but his name is Beale, which was the name of the, the commissioner that was chasing the supposed criminal in that episode. So I'm kind of like, is this the same dude? Because they kind of said that they were the last two of their species too. So like, 
I thought that was a really cool nod. I'm like, I think this is that same dude. You know, he's he's lost his hair, but other than that, he's looking quite good. <laughs> well, and, and I got to say, what I liked about this issue, too, is that we learned that, no, Argyle isn't just making gin and, and somewhere in the bowels of the Enterprise. No, he's still... He's still the chief engineer, and he's actually here to help cut data open so we can mess around with his circuits in his back and get some information from some legitimate blueprints that they're following. He's holding blueprints in front of his face of apparently <laughs> data's inner workings. I did not Oh, my gosh. That. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's just hysterical. Oh. Yeah, I mean, hysterical. That's... That's the way to describe a lot of elements of this. Um, it's, it's yeah, it's really out there. Uh, and, and like you guys said, um, you know, this story is a little bit more normal than what we've gotten. So, you know, it's kind of a, a nice, nice way to end this. You know, it's not quite as off the wall as the first two and not quite as incoherent and frankly depressing as the, the other, the trilogy there. Yeah, I made notes of all these issues, and I'm just looking at my notes, and this this last issue is the only one that doesn't have any weird notes. Like, I'm not pointing out anything that's really weird. So that tells me that this was a... They were getting better as they were going along, kind of. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I mean, what's interesting about this issue is that it does actually feel like a Star Trek issue. Uh, a Star Trek story, even if it is a t- more TOS type story, which, you know, first season of TNG had a lot of that because they were trying to find who they were. So that made sense. Um, what's uh, interesting about this one is that the weirdest thing is the whole bit with Data, where um, they've got, you know, they're cracking him open, all the stuff about Soong and what he might have to do with this, which is really weird. And, of course, the crystalline entity they reference to is very interesting and, and kind of strange and starts to lose me because it doesn't all really make sense. It's like there's a lot going on in these thought bubbles that they have, you know, these dialogue bubbles, but there's not quite enough story for what's at, what they're actually trying to tell you. Um, so, but I think this one does a good job of kind of slowly redeeming what we've read so far. And so um, I think, I guess I could say, this is aptly named Beginnings because, you know, I've read other TNG comics and they're definitely not like this. So this is definitely a, a beginning and it, it's a rough beginning. So, um, so uh, Kit, <laughs> wait, I have to just say, I'm looking at the actual old issues, not from the, the collection, but from the actual old issues. And I'm just quickly reading, you know, one of the letters in this last issue, uh, that someone wrote in says with only two issues completed, I believe that I can honestly say that I feel that your adaption of Star Trek The Next Generation is so highly original and so well-written that it even soars over your regular Star Trek stories. And I'm like, well, I agree with the original part, but I would not say so well-written. But again, it's like you have to put your place, put yourself in that time period of, you know, and maybe this really was good at that time, but now it feels a little hokey to us. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot of first season episodes of The Next Generation 
maybe were good at the time too, <laughs> but feel really hokey to me now. So I, yeah, maybe. <laughs> so I got to ask you guys, um, if you were going to give a rating to this uh, collection, what, what, I'm afraid to ask, but what do you think? Oh man. Um, <laughs> I, I, Dan. <laughs> I strive so hard to not be negative you know usually my ratings are are, are airing on the side of of you know above 50 percent and and trying to find the good and i mean like there is some good i've you know like i said some parts where the writers have thought of things that are are interesting and and you know pretty cool uh, that get picked up later, like different ideas that other people come up with and use, I think, to better effect later on. You know, I'm I'm not even kind of giving allowances for the time it was written and, and probably the limited uh, knowledge of Star Trek or Star Trek The Next Generation, at least, that the writers would have had. Those three, that, that trilogy of stories with Q just is really, really drags this down for me because A, it's incredibly confusing and hard to follow and a bit of a chore to get through. And B, even if you kind of can follow it, I don't like where it leads. Like I am not really digging some of those story decisions and they, they quite frankly, I thought was, you know, not, not a good story to have been telling basically. Uh, you know, this last story picks it up a little bit, but is it really a good story or is it just better than what we've read in the previous issues? Uh, man, you know, I kind of have to give this, yeah, I, I did not enjoy this. Uh, I'd have to give it maybe a 1.5 to two, maybe with that last story out of five. And again, that's, I think being very, very generous here. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, same thing. I didn't really enjoy these. Uh, I mean, there were moments where I laughed, but I feel guilty about laughing, you know? Because, I mean, these people, at least I think that, you know, they worked hard at it and they worked with what they knew and the limitations of not being that familiar with the series. And, and you know, I can't say I hated it, but if I'm going to rank this with all other Star Trek things that I've read and watched, this is not necessary to, for anyone to read unless they're really desperate. <laughs> so, um, I will give this, uh, two out of five He-Mans. You know, uh, Carol King famously sung where you lead, I will follow. And, um, you know, for the most part, most stories, I want to follow along with where you're going to go. But this one, where you lead, I won't follow anywhere you tell me to because it's it's just bad. Uh, and what what I can't forgive it is that at this point, I think we need to be beyond the gold key standard. Now, I've read some of the DC comics uh, for the original series that they do. Uh, in the movie era and they can get pretty crazy and ridiculous too i i don't think that the comic writers understood star trek at all at this time it just doesn't seem like they get it so all of that said 
I think uh, issue one, issue two, and uh, issue six are pretty decent for par for the course. You know, uh, we're trying to find our footing. Odd, strange, weird, but still kind of fun and enjoyable. Bruce and I were laughing about some of the characterizations of the characters and pictures back and forth today. We were texting each other with it. And um, and, and people who listen to the show know that uh, Matt is a Dr. Crusher crush fan. Oh, and, I am. And, and I'm, she looks I'm fabulous. Not, but after looking at this, I am now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, all the characters actually look their best in this comic. I mean, they are all ripped and better looking than they ever were in the series. So the comic writers actually did them a huge favor, the, the artists. But I agree with you, Dan. It's that middle storyline that just really drags this down. Um, it, it drags it in the mud in a place it doesn't need to be. They don't handle it well is the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's what the, I think is is really frustrating um, is, is that they they just don't handle this well, uh, and so and it's an important kind of storyline to talk about. But hey, let's be honest, they never actually handled Yar well at all in the first place. So and her storyline. Um. So I got to say, this is uh, two out of five psychic back rubs. I mean, it's just. It's it's not good, uh, and I hate to say that, but yeah, this is definitely below average, and probably only worth picking up uh, if you are. I don't know. It's like a few dollars at like a you know half price books or something. You know that would really be the only reason to to do that, which is unfortunate. So because um, even the Voyager comics we read. I laughed my butt off the whole time. I'd read those again in a heartbeat. These I don't really ever want to touch again. So, If I needed a good laugh, I might read one and two, but I'd stop there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, the bickering Bickleys, uh, you know, get get a print of, you know, the couple of frames where they're introduced because that is worth seeing. Like, just for it the is. sheer what is this of it well see that's why i didn't give it one out of five because it's those kind of things that entertained me enough and gave me a great cosplay idea <laughs> that it was worth giving the two out of five do oh, not wear that no. at dragon con just for <laughs> you matt <laughs> just for you oh god okay we gotta I'm get out of here i'm gonna shave uh, my legs for it too uh, okay oh, this um is, this, this is, just cut, took cut a wrong feed. turn cut the feed <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much to our associate producers here through Patreon. Uh, one of them is Bruce Gibson. He won't be soon. Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, we'll win Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, and, of course, Bruce Gibson. We thank you guys so much for supporting us on Patreon. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about Trek FM is that we're a listener-supported network. And so kind of think about that in the terms of PBS. Uh, without your support, we can't make this happen. We have so many different shows here on the network that it is just impossible for us to be able to to cover that cost by ourselves. So go to patreon.com slash trekahen and you can see how you can become part of the team today and make sure all the content across Trek FM keeps coming to you. And what that means is, is that we're not running ads and stuff like that. You just get great content full of ridiculous things sometimes we talk about like this and sometimes really serious things we talk about and sometimes in between. That's what we're here for to hopefully make your day better by bringing you the best Star Trek content and beyond on podcasting. So check that out at patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, uh, 
Bruce when you're not trying to figure out which uh, bickering Bickley leotard to wear to work tomorrow. Uh, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And uh, you can find me doing some work over at the Star Wars Report podcast and StarWarsReport.com. And also, I'm in the Babel Conference. Hey, Bruce, um, I think you need to screen cap the bickering Bickleys and make that your avatar. (laughs) Oh, that is a wonderful idea. I'm going to do that immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Uh, Now, you know, Dan, when you're not trying to uh, find a way off the planet that's supposed to be inescapable, where can we find you? Well, I'm going to be polling all of my Twitter followers to see if they can find a way off the planet. My handle there is at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. Uh, you can find me on YouTube. My channel there is called Kurtrats Productions. You can p- find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Productions. And you can find me kicking around the Babel Conference talking about all things Star Trek all the time because what better use of the internet is there than to just start talk about Star Trek all the time? And Matthew, when you're not on the holodeck trying not to overtly look at Yar and whatever it is she's wearing, uh, where can we find you? What everybody's wearing. Picard? I mean, (laughs) Riker? Data? I mean, uh, anyway, I'll probably be Instagramming those pictures. uh, So check that out at mrushing. Uh, You can also find me tweeting about it at mattrushing02. Of course, uh... Uh, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm also here on the network doing a few other shows. I do The Orb with Chris Jones where we talk about Deep Space Nine. And then, of course, I'm on our general geek show here on the network, The 602 Club. It's a great place to hang out talking about all things geeky. Um, just did a great show with John Champion about uh, the second Bond movie from Russia Would Love. This week we're doing Independence Day as we get ready for Independence Day Resurgence. Should be a lot of fun. So, guys, check that out. We'll love doing that show, and I think you'll love it too. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.